podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Daily Podcast in partnership with Travel Bag, breaking holidays packed full of memories since 1979. What a few days of World Cup action, eh? Bangladesh beating South Africa at the Oval, Pakistan's win over England, a high in the entertainment stakes, if not in quality game between Sri Lanka and Afghanistan in Cardiff, New Zealand's two-wicket win over Bangladesh, and today, a properly topsy-turvy game between West Indies and Australia. I'm Yazron, and this evening, I'm delighted to be joined by the editor-in-chief of the Wisdom Cricket Monthly magazine, Phil Walker. How are you doing, Phil? Very well, Yaz. Yeah, it's me again. Yeah, you've done quite a few of these now. <laughs> yeah, I have a few. Yeah, good. I'm losing count. And with us for the first time on this podcast, a legend in the game and one of the voices of this year's World Cup, Mel Jones. Thanks for joining us. How are you? Well, I'm glad to be in the same country as you guys. Usually I'm speaking to Joe over the line. Yep, every the month the in the middle of the night. So no, nice to be in the, in the same spot. Uh, I don't even know where to start with today's game. Um, I guess, Phil, your moment of the day? Uh, my, moment, my moment of the day uh, came early in the West Indies innings uh, when Gail was facing um, Mitchell Stark, who has had a slightly in-and-out year or two, Stark. Uh, was obviously the star man four years ago, and today he really turned it on, Mitchell Stark. He took a fiver in the end as Australia won by 15, but he really set the tone in that particular over, and it was terrifying, and it was thrilling, uh, and it was unforgettable. Gale gloved his first delivery over the keeper's head. I think it was Stark's second over. He gloved his first delivery over, his, over the keeper's head for four. Uh, the second delivery... Um, cannoned into what looked like his inside edge and was caught behind and given out. Gale reviewed it immediately and you heard the noise and it was a classic noise. It was a woody noise on the stump mic and you're thinking, this is slightly odd. Everybody went up. Everyone was very comfortable with the decision. The umpire's finger straight off the bat. Gale reviewed it straight away and it turns out that it's cannoned into off stump and yet again... (laughs) These recalcitrant bales refuse to budge. That's not like the third time it's happened this tournament. Yeah. And also, Stark bowls at 90 plus miles Indeed. per hour. So, how is the Indeed. bale staying on? So, it was another extraordinary moment. Clip. But it didn't even light up. No, this time it didn't. The other times it has. Uh, anyway, cannons into off stump, flies through at the keeper, but obviously not out. He's bowled, but he's still not out. Two balls later, Stark cannons into his ankle. Um, and Gale is rarely beaten for pace, even though he's, what, 57 years old or whatever he is now. Uh, he's still got the magics, as we know, and yet he was beaten all ends up by Stark through the air, cannoned into his ankle, given out again. Gale reviews it again, and he gets away with it. Now, the, the upshot of all of that is that four runs to, to the Windies over the course of the over, and Gale takes guard <laughs> next over. However, if you're watching it, and the world is watching this Australian side because it's become quite enigmatic, it's become hard to nail down, that was a big statement over by their kingpin, their spearhead, and naturally backed up by the, the magnificent Cummins as well. But a team with Stark, who's fresh and fit, is a team that can go and win this thing, and there was proof of it right this afternoon. Yeah, Mel, I feel that everyone's kind of forgotten that Mitchell Stark was the player of the tournament last yeah, time. Yeah, two now. wickets, well, wasn't it? Exactly. Yeah. No, he was, he was brilliant last World Cup, and I think he, he actually copped a bit of flack over the Australian summer throughout the Test Series as well because he wasn't taking wickets with the new ball. He's fantastic to the tail, which we saw again today. Um, but I just get the sense again, when he, when he raised the ball for the Fifer, there was a very poignant yeah. sort of wave to, to the change room to say, I'm here, 
don't forget me, um, and I'm a big part of this, uh, well, if you say defence, or win another trophy kind of campaign. Fastest man to 150 ODI wickets as well, uh, reached that today. Yeah. Yeah. W- one thing, I think with a lot of teams actually, that um, people forget when they were analysing teams going into the World Cup, is that because of there's so much cricket being played, and if you're a player like Mitchell Stark or Pat Cummins, you play so much cricket around the world, so the opportunity for rest is often during ODI series. So, Mitch Stark and Pat Cummins have actually only played seven ODIs together in the last two years. That's interesting as well. And, and the Ashes a year and a year and a bit ago, the Australian Brains Trust brilliantly organised those four fast bowlers. So, by the time of November 23rd, and I remember that date because it's <laughs> singed on my brain forever. By the time everyone turned up at Brisbane, they were all fit, they were all firing, and they were all ready. And, and it seems like possibly a similar kind of ploy has been at, been at work here. The proof is currently in the pudding. They look very good today. They look sharp in the field. Um, Mel, you'd have seen the game throughout today. They started poorly with the bat, but it was a very Australian recovery, right? <laughs> 50 for four, down in the dumps, and they somehow find their way up to 270, 280. Yeah, look, and, and when you've got Steve Smith out in the middle, that's, that kind of situation is just absolutely made for him. There's, you know, there's comments about you know, when you've got a Finch and a Smith and a Kawaja at the top order of the Australian, are they two run a ball style you know, 100 kind of players, you need a little bit more power. But all of a sudden, start of a tournament, and we've got to remember too, it's tournament-style play. Yeah. So you need that balanced team for every kind of situation that comes up. Um, Steve Smith's the kind of guy you want out there in the middle. I thought um, Alex Carey's knock is probably going to go just sort of underrated or, or missed a little bit with the bookends of the Smith dynamic, though, the innings, Nathan Coulton. Oh, yeah, I think he was absolutely brilliant. I think he's crucial at seven for us. He's unlike a lot of the other teams where they're, their wicketkeeper batters, you know, high up the order, going for a bit of biff and bosh and all that sort of thing. Um, I thought he was brilliant. Nathan Coulton Isle. It's one of their all-time great World Cup innings. Oh, my word. Uh, Did you see his wagon wheel? I think he got one single to point, and I think the rest was just very heavily on the onside. So they didn't bowl well to him, but he played well. He gave one of the great cricketer interviews at half-time because he said, yeah, I never really felt in, you know, I never really felt in. Uh, yeah, I just, just did well just to get a couple away. And you think like 94 in 60 balls from number eight. And I thought it was a classic, classic cricketer's interview. Did you know that he was capable of that? Because I, I definitely didn't. Yeah, look, uh, yeah, we've seen it before in, in little bits and bobs. I think for Nathan coulton though, he's been so injury-prone over the last you know five or so years. He'd, he'd give you this little sneak peek, particularly of his bowling, and you'd get all excited about him. And then you know he'd break down with an ankle, and he had vertigo through the last big bash as well. So really? he had to leave the ground and off to really? hospital because of vertigo, yeah. So he's just had all this sort of going on. But when he's fit and firing, he and Cummins as that, just adding that extra depth, and even Mitchell Stark when, when he's going with the bat is just is pretty impressive as well. His bowling record's really good in the last few years as well. Yeah. It's like actually comparable to Stark and Cummins. So yeah, yeah, he, he makes the side seem a lot more balanced because I think on paper a lot of people were saying what you just said there that perhaps the tail's not that long um, and people before the tournament weren't backing Kerry. And I think that in the warm-ups and now in early on in the tournament, I think yeah. Kerry has shown that they do back deep. And I think for Nathan Coulton-Isle as well is that he's been bowling a lot when the other guys have been out. So in terms of that leadership style with, with the ball, he's been, he's been learning the ropes um, with both them in and outside of the team, and I think that bodes well. Yeah, it's interesting what you said about Smith um, and the, 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 the kind of the bogus idea that, OK, well, he's maybe, the game's maybe moved on a little bit and that Smith only runs at kind of 85 to 90 strike rate... 
the, the World Cup, one of the beauties of the first week of this World Cup is it's, is it, it's recalibrated the balance between bat and ball. And those concerns... Thankfully, yes. <laughs> and thank, thank the Lord for it, right? But those concerns before the start of this tournament were all about how it was going to be 350 versus 360 and, and whoever can hit it furthest was going to win the tournament. Thankfully, cricket has, has, has done us a, num- a number yet again. And it was interesting because I, I was in Southampton for the warm-up game, the England-Australia game, and Smith made a brilliant 100 there, 110 in 100, in 100 balls, yep. just under 100 balls. But he'd taken his time, and I spoke to, to, to Graham Swan about it, and he kind of said, mm, I'm not really sure that's the innings that, that modern cricket is about. They won the game. They won the game. He held it together and he scored over a, over a run of ball in the end. Now, you can look at his innings today, 73 and 100, and think, mm, right, but this is, this is what the game is telling us it needs to, needs to stay as. Yep. You know? And this notion that we've run away with it is proving to be bogus, thankfully. Yeah, I think there'll be lots of moments within this World Cup where we sort of sit up and take notice that it is not just about... And mentioned it before, the bish and the bosh and the excitement factor. And there is still a massive element of reading the state of the game, finding a solution to the state of the game, and then bringing out a game plan and executing it. Yeah. And, and that is the beauty of the one-day game. And we'll have moments right throughout a full 100 overs where it'll come in and out like that. The New Zealand-Bangladesh um, game last night was a perfect example. Um, some people will be able to handle the situation like Steve Smith did today, and some won't. Oh, Nisham and... De Grondholm had the game in their grasp and then, yeah. and then let it slide to a you know <laughs> quite a, a close game by the end. Quick, quick, quickly on what you were saying about 350 games. Even if it was 350 versus 350, I'd have Steve Smith on my side every day of the week. Indeed. Um, Indeed. We talked about it endlessly on this podcast before, but players like Joe Root, Steve Smith, they're the reason why you can get 350 Completely. because they'll get 100 at a run of ball genuinely at a frequency that is, is actually insane and yeah. allows and players the other players exactly. who do have exactly. that more freedom yeah. to go on and play like that as well so what was your moment then Mel today yeah well look there was I mean there's, there's the few. obvious ones isn't there like Cottrell's catch was, was brilliant you know, I absolutely love him to bits um, and the athleticism of, of pace bowlers these days completely different from you know 10-15 years ago um, Nathan Coulton and I have already mentioned his knock but mine is, is one ball and a very well I, I, I'm not going to repeat what I said in my hotel room when I was watching the, the screen when um, Glenn Maxwell bumper went the short ball yep. out having faced the two, two, just the two deliveries. And it's a moment for me for, for two reasons. More crystal ball-like looking into the future. What does that shot do to Glenn Maxwell and his World Cup campaign? Because I think he is one of the critical elements of the Australian setup, um, And I... I personally think he will he will shine throughout the rest of this tournament, but I think that might just be the little light bulb moment, hopefully for him, to uh, to realise that right we're in the World Cup now, uh, we've we've got to knuckle down at certain stages. Not stages. everything's a club game. Yes. Not everyone's a medium pacer that you can just just <laughs> smash over midwicket. And I know he's he's been given a license. He's got a wonderful relationship with Ricky Ponting to to play with freedom. Um, but there is we just mentioned it before. There is that balance between the game sense, the freedom, and the execution. And um, Dare I ask about the, the Warner-Smith thing and how they've been reintegrated back into the side? What's your impression of that? Well, look, that's been a process from pretty much 
football won when it, when it all happened. So uh, Justin Langer and, and Cricket Australia and the, and the leadership group, Aaron Finch, have been working on this for – it's like a World Cup. You yeah. don't just rock up to a World Cup and go, oh, let's have this game plan. Sure. You're working on it 18 months, two years out from it. So um, this has been going on for, for quite some time. So the boys have almost at the stage now of let's just get on with the tournament. I spoke to Haddon and Ponting before the game uh, the other day against Afghanistan in Bristol. And they were saying they just had, they were holding them back probably for, you know, five, six days at least because um, they just wanted to get in there and get going. And so their mindset is well and truly into this tournament. It must be brilliant for an Australian player having the likes of Ponting, Langer and Haddon in the dressing room. Like the winners that they would have all grown up watching win things are the people mentoring them now. Yeah, I, I keep forgetting Justin Langer's never played in the World Cup. So as the head coach coming into this, this is big for him as well. And big for him on a number of reasons, particularly because of the 12 months that he's had dealing with everything that's going on in Australian cricket. Um, so to have Ricky Ponting come in, I think that's a that's a massive will, um, win. Brad Haddon as well has been a big part of World Cup wins as well. It's certainly, from an outsider's point of view, it makes sense that Ponting's in a tracksuit. He never quite convinced me when he was in a commentary box. Brilliant oh, as he is. Brilliant, brilliant as he box. is. Oh, but word. I always got the sense, <laughs> oh, he just wants to be out there. Ponting yeah. just wants to be out there, you know, Getting, getting dirty with the boys, you know, getting in, getting in the muck and getting on with it. And, and it's, it was always inevitable that I think he would end up in this position. And I think when, you know, when, when, when Langer is, is done with it, he'll probably hand over to, to yeah, Ponting. Oh, and yeah, I don't know about that. I don't, no? Yeah, I, I definitely think I and know that... destiny, Ponting, yeah, that he Yeah, that he, he loves the coaching element side to it. But I think he also likes the freedom and flexibility of being able to be involved in a variety of parts of the game okay. as well. So to be a full-time... You know, to be head coach of an Australian team or any of the national teams these days, that is a full-on job. You've got to be a politician as well, I suppose. You do, yeah. and it, it's very limiting with, with other things. So I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if he quite likes the fact that he can sort of jump in here and there and sort okay. of, you know. So you think he's quite a natural number two? Because he's captain for so long, captain of Langer for so long. Massively, because he is a real player's person in that sense and, and I'm not saying that Justin isn't or a head coach isn't but you just get the ability I think as a, as a player to be able to go up to punter and just have a have yeah. a, just a, a really raw and genuine chat without it feeling as if it's going to affect selection or, or anything along those lines so I, th- I think Australia likes that as well. Pop Ponting's my uh, all-time favourite non-English cricketer because I used to love it in, in a weird way as an England fan watching Ponting swagger to the crease after England taking an early wicket with so much confidence, probably still chewing gum. Yep. It was brilliant to see and he'd quite often punch the first ball or hook it. <laughs> Bri- well, yep. it was brilliant. Um, you, you, haven't, you haven't lived yet. You haven't suffered anywhere <laughs> as much as I have. <laughs> You've only been about s- s- two years old in 1996. <laughs> but no, I understand what you're saying. He is easily a, a lovable cricketer. It doesn't matter where you're from, whatever creed you are. Uh, Ponting's one of the good guys. I feel like we've slightly glossed over that Cottrell catch. That was that was something yeah, I else. Wasn't it? <laughs> I, 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 there's people are talking about the catch tournament. I don't really want to get into that because that's quite a tedious discussion. It's so subjective. Yeah. But it was quite a unique catch, wasn't it? It was a running full sp- full pace. And it was he just the arm. It was the nonchalance yeah. of it, and the the presence of mind as well. You know, not to go too hard, not to not to topple over, not to panic. It was beautifully done throughout and I think that the boundaries here in England because it was is that quirky section where it's just a fractionally bit straighter as well so he had pace left hand as well which is dominant hand but he just sort of knew that he had the pace he got it in and then he just had because it didn't curve around a little bit more he just had that little extra time and he just assessed it so beautifully well it was just yeah, it was it just remi- smooth it reminds me of another classic World Cup catch for Tories in 2015 
where New Zealand's, and I think they scored 400. It's a game that got to got a double, double hundred. And West Indies come out all guns blazing. And uh, I think it was Samuels plays it wide one for Tory on the third man boundary and just stucks his hand out. And he just very, very casually catches it and the whole team runs towards him. It's like, it's something about one hand he catches on the boundary. Just to, I'm, I'm really enjoying the, the, the BBC's clip service. And I know they're available elsewhere, you know, but um, when, when you're seeing them every 10, 15 minutes or so and they land on the BBC's website and the BBC's website, of course, for people in Britain is populated by people who are not interested in cricket, but it's there. It's there right in front of them. And it's this kind of extraordinary stuff that's commonplace that we know and we appreciate because we're lost in cricket. New fans, they are going to be blown away by that, just as they would have been by the Stokes stuff. People have a perception of cricket as being kind of nice and polite and middle class and a bit staid and a bit straightforward. Not a game of wild athleticism. These these are two more examples. But there's more and more and more coming yeah. through. I mean, if anybody ha- happens to watch Nicholas Poran's 45-minute we'll cameo to today... We'll get on to Poran. My word, they'd fall in love in a heartbeat. <laughs> I did anyway. So I, 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 I'm not an American football fan, but something that got me at least a little bit interested in it were actually clips on the BBC website of Odell Beckham Jr. taking ridiculous catches. Yep. Because you just appreciate the, the athleticism and the skill that's gone, gone into it. Um... Actually, it's irresistible. For anybody who has an inkling towards sport, it's irresistible when you watch it. You mentioned new fans. I've had friends who honestly don't care about cricket have show a vague interest in the World Cup. I think the two words, World Cup, have a power about Very them. True. And I think yeah. it attracts people to it. Yep. People are naturally quite interested in it. Um, right, Phil, let's, let's talk about Nicholas Poran. Let's talk about Is, Nicholas Poran. To what, what, if you had to choose one player to watch back for the rest of your life, would it be Poran or Babrazam? <laughs> <laughs> or it, James Vince it would actually it would actually be Rohit Sharma but that's, okay. that's, that's another discussion but, but Babar Azam you know my feelings on him I, I can't get through a day without thinking about him um, Nicholas Poran I mentioned Swanee earlier we did a pre, pre-tournament show and he said he's, he's, he's my pick he's my pick to watch and I know that he adorned the odd game here and there and, and had a good uh, CPL last summer and so on but his record he's never made a professional hundred Never made a professional in any format for any team anywhere ever. He's played three first-class games of cricket, all in 2014. He's only 23. So he played three games as an 18-year-old uh-huh. and hasn't yet played another first-class game of cricket. This is not stopping me backing him to make 20 <laughs> test hundreds, incidentally. Yeah, I saw that tweet. I think tw- 20 is a, all is, right, is, is a bit all right. far-fetched. Six. <laughs> this is Twitter. We have to exaggerate just to be heard. It's horrible. It's a terrible place. Um, there was a poised... In, in the shot, there is a beautiful balance and poise to the way that he plays. There is no extravagant backlift. There's no um, kind of exaggerated back and across. Or He's just a natural, and you see it. There is that kind of stillness in his game just before the bowler bowls, and then he just moves naturally into the shot. There is a Lara element in the hands, and there's a kind of a regional connection, obviously, because he's, you know, he's, a, he's a Trinidad boy. But... Uh, there's a Lara-ness in his hands, but there's nothing Lara-like in, in the setup. There is a real purity and a stillness to his game. It was a gorgeous 40-odd in 36 balls. Now, name me a better innings than 40 and 36 balls before just smacking it up in the air. That's an <laughs> innings that gets me every time. Does he remind you of, of, of yourself? Oh, come on, yes. Don't ask <laughs> such, a, such a pointed question. Yes, he does. <laughs> And but you know H- Hetmeyer comes in afterwards. I mean that is, that is a that is a dreamlike so four and five. And and look, they might be sorry to to go on, but they might be a bit raw to win this tournament. 
in the in the engine room, and you saw it maybe today when push came to shove. Australia had that smart, the the smarts and the sharpness. But as watchable cricket, they are they are the team to watch this tournament. So I was actually every say, single thing they do, you you are compelled by uh, it. A really common World Cup cliche in any sport is all oh, the tournaments two years too early for them. Um, I think that genuinely might be the case of this West Indies team, like the likes of Hope Hetmyer, Puran, O'Shane Thomas, Alzari Joseph. All early 20s, these guys are, yep. are going to be a core of a really good cricket team across all formats for a long time now. Yep. Yeah. And I, I, th- I think the other thing is that they're probably everybody's second favourite team, maybe along with Afghanistan mm-hmm. in there. But come next World Cup, everyone might be like, well, I like them, but they might beat us now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> might beat us this time around. This is it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, the, the West Indies renaissance is, is the best story of the World Cup so far, but it's been the best story of the last six to 12 months, really. Let's and what Holder is doing is amazing. Park. That's my massive concern. You know, Gail, by the end of the Pakistan game, was down on all haunches. Um, Andre Russell is not 100%. If they can keep them all on the park, yeah. back end of the tournament. Oh. So who, who was your pick before the tournament? Did you, did you have a pick to win it before the tournament? Um, oh, coming into it, I, England is favourites and, you know, the form that they've had over the last couple of years, you'd be mad not to think that... And, um, and have you changed? Uh, no, 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 no. Um, I, I think it's down to the the four that make the semi, that, that just because of the style of the format as well, because there's no, you know, five teams and one and two play off and you get the second chance or anything along those lines. I think it's it just makes it a little bit more interesting to see who can, who can slide into, you know, the fourth and third kind of spots. But, um, and I think people jump, Jump the gun far too quickly at the start of a tournament, so I go, "Oh, well, England have lost one game. Well, this is you know, this is diabolical. Just be patient, everyone. You know, Afghanistan lose one. Oh, that's it. You know, they're gone. It's just be steady. Yeah. There's nine games. To You're still, well, still backing Frank of the, the semis, eh? Welcome to the fragility of the, the English sporting <laughs> psyche. I've um, already written us off half a dozen times for for that reason for the format, which is weird for a World Cup. That's why I think a team like West Indies or Pakistan might end up genuinely winning the thing because they will only have to scrape fourth place and then no yeah, one on. wants to play anything because they're two teams packed for the match winners yeah. and um, there'll be other teams who probably be seeing those games. Their mindset might be different uh, to, to playing a, uh, well, probably not South Africa anymore but a New Zealand or in England or in yeah. India. So, so you, you've covered a few games, Mel, already. Obviously, you're going to be doing a lot uh, down the line as well. What's been your overall impression about the buzz around the tournament? Oh, look, subcontinental teams, I just want to do their games for the rest of the... I'm just <laughs> going to take away all the other ones. So, no apologies, Australia and New Zealand and the, and the likes, because when you get off the train station or leave the hotel room, or whatever way you're getting there, about, you know, a couple of hundred metres outside of the ground, all of a sudden you feel this rhythm to your walk because you're starting to feel the drum beats, you're starting to get the buzz from, from the way in which they're just up and about and then you get to the ground and everyone, there's just noise and music and that then just continues right throughout the entire day. There's just, I think, you know, Australians and, you know, probably the English as well, we, we cheer at a cricket game and we'll applaud and we'll go, hey, for a six or a wicket and then we'll be, sit back down and there'll be this lull. Whereas you don't get that with these games with Afghanistan and Bangladesh and India playing. There's just this real buzz constantly throughout and that's, that's magical. Yeah, I've been to a couple of Sri Lanka games and their fans are just extraordinary. So I went to the game where they got demolished by New Zealand at Cardiff. And at the end of the game, you had hundreds of Sri Lanka fans. Uh, there was a group of them in the middle with trumpets yep. playing music and they're all dancing along. Yep. And you just yep. been thrashed by 10 wickets <laughs> here at the start of the World <laughs> Cup. Equally on uh, Tuesday against Afghanistan, there was a quite a lengthy rain delay. Mm. And there was a massive group of them just having an amazing time at the back of the stands. And what was the most amazing thing about that was um, that game didn't sell out. So 
uh, I don't know whoever, whoever it was, ECB, ICC, they gave thousands of tickets to school children. Yep. And there were loads of school children in front of them. And they were dancing along and just chanting Sri Lanka, Sri Lanka. Yep. And it, was, it wasn't the most amazing game of cricket in terms of quality, but it was actually quite entertaining. Um, and to see so many people enjoy themselves in what I definitely was looking ahead at the schedule of the tournament, thinking that game could be a dud game. You know, yeah. that could be really dull. But actually, that was one of the most exciting games uh, in terms of atmosphere at the ground. Um, and overall, this tournament, um, I've heard people say that it's kind of like rem- reminds them why they love cricket. You see other people from other cu- fans of other countries really enjoying themselves. Um, and this, this tournament so far, I know it's early and I know it's really long, uh, but it surpassed my expectations in every way, both in terms of the quality of the games, but also the general entertainment. Um, and you see players who are almost becoming heroes. So Co- Sheldon Cottrell, 29 years old good player he's not done much until the last six months I mean England fans probably would have heard of him until six months ago and there's an amazing video of him on Twitter teaching kids his salute yeah that's brilliant. People now know the Sheldon Cottrell salute. <laughs> this is it. I, I, that's, that's something brilliant about that from a cricket fan yeah. point of view. And yeah, um, it's been great. Yeah, there's been a, a point made quite rightly in the last few days that it's a good country to, hold, to host a tournament like this because Britain, England is a vastly multicultural place. Uh, and so people who have settled here have the chance to express themselves and express... You know, a sense of ethnicity and, and, and regionality and so on. In, in South London, when, when Bangladesh have played there, I've, I've been at both of those games as well, and they've been quite moving experiences when you walk out of the ground. I, I lived for many years in East London where many Bangladeshis settled, and it's not an easy life. Let's be honest, it's not an easy life. Uh, and it's not an easy life in, in modern, dare I say, Brexit Britain. It's not an easy life, and it's a harder life now than it's been in a long time. To have that day where you can express yourself, when you can walk tall, you can puff your chest out, and you can be proud of yourself, your creed, your background, and where you are in the here and now, that is a very powerful thing. And one forgets in cricket that it has that kind of capacity sometimes. You know, We get so worked up about who's playing and who's got a bad hamstring and who's about five or six, but it's something more elemental than that. You know, And, it, and it's come through in moments, I think, in this World Cup. Maybe I'm getting a bit carried away, but And also, um, it's fans of, of countries like Bangladesh, India, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, Kazakhstan, West Indies, who have lived their entire lives in the UK. And their, their songs and chants are English football songs. Yeah. That they've changed <laughs> to fit their plays. That's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And also, kind of separate from that, I've loved... Um, I love seeing players who obviously rise to the occasion of a World Cup. Mm-hmm. So Wahab Riaz is the obvious one. He's what? Did, did really well in the World Cup four years ago. Stopped playing for four years, pretty much. I didn't play in ODI <laughs> over two years. And, th- and he, was, he was brilliant against England. He's born England to take end. three for eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he really is. He's born for in it. a high-scoring yeah. game. But also, I like uh, seeing the Bangladesh games, seeing them turn to Mustafiza. Yeah. Uh, I love watching Mustafiza bowl just because uh, uh, I don't think anyone bowls cutters like he does. They, he bowls cutters, but he doesn't lose any pace when he bowls yeah. them. But seeing a country with... Hundreds of millions of fans. Literally, one of my friends is actually in Bangladesh at the moment and said he doesn't like cricket, but he said everyone's going crazy for crazy the World for Cup. It. But seeing like a country turn to a young 23-year-old, and you could tell the captain gives in the ball, and there's a sense of expectation when he runs into bowl. Um, I hope we're not in the honeymoon period here. I mean, I think we definitely are. Three or four are, weeks <laughs> in, like, oh no, we've got a, another game. I've got to go to Bristol. <laughs> No disrespect to our Bristolian listeners. Hey, I like Bristol. So do I. It was a bad choice, yes. actually. Southampton. Yes. And I can say that because I live there. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Moving on. 
obviously uh, the cricket summer there's, there's more than just the World Cup it's a massive summer for the women's game uh, Australia have announced their squad for the Ashes no Sophie Molyneux she's not fully recovered from her injury uh, Mel in the World T20 in the Caribbean um, Australia looks streets ahead of a, of a bruntless tailless England in the World T20 do you, do you have them as favourites going into this summer? Yes I do yeah um, and for a variety of different reasons as well I think um, even though I think it's great to see Sarah Taylor back and that's got over hip injuries and, and the like um, and you want for an Ashes series or any series you want every player fully fit and ready to go game one in the first one day international and that's hopefully the way all right throughout this uh, this Ashes series um, but yeah I, I do and I think Again, I've mentioned it a few times um, of late. I think it's because of the platform that Australian cricket has at the moment. Um, I think most countries are quite envious of it, from the WNCL and the WBBL. So the 50 over and the T20 formats, um, contracted players, the systems there are in place. Um, And I think the win in the West Indies last year in the T20 World Cup was off the back of a very strong 50 over domestic competition. Um, And I think you could see that difference. Yes, the opposition teams had brilliant performances in little patches, had some big wins against other sides, but when it came down to the crunch, when, and we mentioned it before about um, teams finding a solution to certain situations, reading pitches, finding a way, I think that's where Australia has just the edge. You wrote an article in Wisden Cricket Monthly where you, uh, I think you mentioned four areas which would improve the women's game, and one of them was promoting 50-over cricket. Behind that, there's almost an implication that some people are trying to push it to the margins. Is that is that true? Are the administrators trying to do yeah, that? Yeah, I think there's a, a very sort of noticeable feel that T20 cricket is the marketing tool for the development of new people into the game um, and the development of the women's game um, or the hundred ball whichever way whichever country you're sitting in at the moment let's um, leave that one alone yes okay right here <laughs> bad word um, but I think what they've also got to realise is the Austra- like I mentioned before Australia's success in the T20 format is because of their understanding of the longer format of the game you look at Elise Perry and Meg Lanning they are classical style cricketers that have been bred, brought up on that longer format and then have adapted to the T20 game you can't really do it the other way um, and you'll get sought out I think a little bit more in the T20 game if that's what you just get brought up on, brought up on all the time um, I want to ask you about the five or the four day game um, in which was obviously lined up this 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 summer in, in the women's uh, three former ashes uh, with just just to remind people as well obviously the points are accrued across the three formats it's yep. a brilliant system that Claire Connor came up with um, I was at the test match three or four years ago at Canterbury, I imagine you might have been there as well. I was, yep. Yeah, which was a hard watch, you know, no two ways about it, it was a hard watch. And and I would add as well, I've seen many test matches that men have played that have been hard watches as well. Uh, I remember talking to Claire Connor after it and we had a a long conversation about the future of multi-day cricket for for the women at that level to play. Yep. Um, I know that the girls themselves are desperate to play it. That's That's the one consistent point that's always made when I ask this question but what's your impression having observed it what do you think about uh, the necessity of playing it now and the future of playing it yeah um, again it's it's that third element too and you don't want to say that you want to compare 
men's cricket and women's cricket all the time. But you got to also remember, I grew up, as did all these these players, watching Test Match Cricket on TV and knowing that that's the pinnacle and the, the ultimate. You know, to, to get your baggy green for any Australian cricketer is the ultimate. Yes, this is a World Cup and people love playing in World Cups, but I, if I went to the Australian men's change room at the moment and said, do you want a bag, baggy green or do you want a one-day cap? Tipping all the boys are going to say baggy green sort of thing. So um, we, we need to allow that opportunity to unfold too because there's a storyline there that I think is is quite magical. Yep. Um, so then how do we then produce a better, for, uh, a better display within a four-day game when there's no four-day cricket or two-day cricket being played. That, that, that's a tricky one. It's turn it on. It certainly is. It certainly is. That's where, again, though, I think the, how important the, the one-day game is. I think that's going to be vital. Um, and, and maybe it is. We have with the Sheffield Shield final and throughout the season, we have a, a point system in it so that teams can't just shut up shop. So if, if Australia go 2-1 up in the one-day one dayers. Um, England might just go right. Well, we're just going to draw out. We're going to draw the test and then have a crack at the T20. So that's that was the issue that happened. Sure. So yeah. all of a sudden, if there's a, a point system within the test match itself, um, then all of a sudden that might actually make it a little bit more aggressive and yeah, you might want to hit the ball a bit. There's more. a lot of pressure <laughs> on that one test match because is, if yeah. people are talking about whether there should be more, if they have one boring test match, there are so many awful men. Test matches, and yeah. no one ever questions the. Oh, we, we need to have fewer test matches when they have that. <laughs> they say, oh, Correct. we need better pitches. That's yeah. not that's never the, the question when it's in the women's game, and it's yeah. it's difficult. There's a lot of pressure on the players almost to provide a spectacle, but also to be performing at the highest level and win what is yeah. the most important. And you brought a good one up there, which I was I was quite critical of the pitches in the in the West Indies during the T20 World Cup. They were dreadful. Um, they, they were, were dreadful. they were awful. Um, and for for the T20 format, where you want to display the skill set particularly you know of all the teams um you need you need to match those pitches up and i think likewise for test match cricket you need a, a good competitive pitch for men's or women's test matches between bat and ball that then changes as the test match goes on and brings spin into play and, and all those elements as well you backed um, australia to win but england have won 10 in a row and they are currently um they're about, about to make it 11 uh, they got 318 today, and West Indies, I think, are 68 for five. Yeah, just checking in the TV <laughs> in the corner. <laughs> yeah, five um, down now, yes. Yeah, bang on. But on the England team, the, the core of the side that won the World Cup two years ago is still pretty much there, but on top of that, you've got Amy Jones, who's a massively improved She's going to be huge in this, this Ashes series. Yeah. I'm not such saying it because she's a Jones either. There's yeah. no relation. <laughs> <laughs> and then Sophie Eccleston as well added, added yep. to the team. She's, she's a brilliant player. Yep. So that's, a, that's an improving England team. And with, with Taylor and Brock back as and well. It was interesting having a look at their squad too because I think Sophia Dunkley was, un, was probably unlucky not to... I think she might be able to get in maybe for the T20s at the back end of the, of the series. But all of a sudden, you, you're starting to see... Hopefully, a little bit more depth within the within the England setup as well. Um, you know, I talked about the WNCL. I haven't. I'm going to have a chat to a few people over here while I'm here just to get a sense of where county cricket is at. But um, I think that's critical to the success of England teams moving forward here as well. Yeah, they're, they're streamlining the women's county game, um, reducing the number of top tier counties. Yeah. And I think that that is a good move. I think that's widely accepted. Um, yeah, so hugely exciting summer for the women's game as well. Um, just before we finish, talk about the, the county championship. Right. The good old county championship is still going strong. Um, Somerset at the top of the table. They beat, they beat Surrey. Surrey who have only won one game across all formats out of 13 this season. I told you two months ago on one of these many podcasts that we do that Surrey would stroll. 
stroll the county. Champion. I said Essex would win. I know you did actually, which is not a bad shout. You know, they're, they're, they're doing okay. They're hanging in yeah. there. Um, Somerset have obviously been the stars of the year so far. Won the Lords final marvelously after being the bridesmaids far too often. And and yeah, they're running. I wouldn't say they're running away with it, but they are making the running in in the four day stuff. All I would add is that I've commissioned three Somerset are about to win the championship articles in the last three summers <laughs> that go out in July. So it's your fault. <laughs> yeah. And they've come up short every time. Uh, they've, they've never won the county championship. Yeah. In a hundred and plenty. Never won it. What's been the trigger? What's been the switch this season? But they have, been the, they have been the second or third best side for the last four years now. Mm. So they are a really good team and crucially, they win games. So that might sound simple, but last season, Surrey won the championship and Surrey in the last few years have, have been really good. But they struggle to actually get the wins. They, they score a lot of runs, struggle to take 20 wickets. Somerset pretty much all the time get 20 wickets and that's yeah. a massive deal. Yeah, um, I mean, it comes down to Taunton turning um, and them having two good spinners. Leach is a Somerset yep. boy. Don Bess is a Somerset boy who played for England last mm-hmm. summer briefly. Um, Triscothic opens the batting still. 44? 43. Love it. 43. And they've they've signed Jack Brooks as well from Yorkshire, who's an England Lions player. Good good bowler, good opening bowler. He took five for today or yesterday. I lose track, my word. Anyway, he took five for to to beat Surrey um, in the fourth innings. Uh, So it's good to see, really. And it would be a massively popular result if they were to win it because they're a small club in terms of finance, but... But they're a, they're a forward-thinking club, and that they you know they're not in debt like a lot of the other smaller ones are in truth, and they, they run a tight ship there, and they produce England cricketers. I yeah. mean, it's the home of Joss Butler. You know exactly, and also um, they're this season they've had the likes of young guys, Tom Banton, George Bartlett, young English cricketers, 20, 21, if that, scoring a lot of the runs for them. Homegrown players, they're they're captained by Tom Abel, who's what still only twenty four, yeah. if that, yeah. um, and. The, they've got the Overton twins. It's a, it's a predominantly homegrown side. It's interesting, and actually. a young side as well. It's, it's, it's a bit of a hotbed for cricket down there. And there are areas in England where cricket's an irrelevance, in truth. In certainly in sp- specific urban areas. But down there, in the kind of the southwest area, Bristol as well comes into that category. It's, cricket's part of the natural rhythm of life in the way that it's not where I live for example and in various other places in, in England um, and so it's natural for, the, for lots of these cricketers to come through because it's, it's a part of the rhythm of things down there mm. uh, it would be great it would be stunning if what Somerset the club of Viv and Botham and Triscothic and Joel and all these great James names. Hildreth and James Hildreth <laughs> and, and Barry Dalston <laughs> if they were to win it would be incredible it would be great another Somerset player who's doing really well at the moment but not at Somerset is, is Don Best Don Best who as you mentioned played for England last summer then was playing second 11 cricket a couple of weeks later uh, diff- he had a difficult time he struggled to get in the Somerset side with uh, a certain Jack Leach ahead of him he's gone to Yorkshire and uh, in this round of games he scored 91 um, not out and he then he took a very economical threefer as well um, that's great to see yeah, really it is. It see. is because you know he was a real, real likely lad of a cricketer. Um, Fast tracked into the England side too early, but basically should never have played but Test cricket. His record at, at Somerset the year before was excellent. You know, and he averaged in the early tw- early twenties with the ball. Um, you, there's not a cricketer out there, doesn't matter how good you are, that doesn't go through a bad a bad run of it. I mean, even Bradman was dropped. You know, so it does happen. Um, so it's good to see that he's back. He's gone to Yorkshire, as yeah says. 
Gary Balance. Remember him, Mel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's made five hundreds in five games. Four in four this year, and five, and five if you include the September game last time round. Uh, so he's un- unbeatable. He's unstoppable batting, batting three or four for, batting four for, um, for Yorkshire. I don't know. It's not beyond the realms to think that he, he might find his way back in there. Because really? if, you, if you keep scoring runs like this, mm-hmm. but then I think if you that's were to what ta- Matthew Wade if, said. If you, if, <laughs> yeah, in truth, if you were to talk to the, the the inner sanctum of England, then he might be a bit further away than those yeah. those numbers suggest. The, the more, but anyway, it's impressive. The, yeah, the more and more I think about it, though, I just think that county cricket uh, is obviously brilliant at producing international players. But your performance as a county cricket is just not an indication of whether you can face Pat Cummins or Mitch Stark in the, in the in the Ashes. So for that reason, that's why I think England will go for for Roy and and Vince. I think and I hope as well. Um, and I think that's a really good note to end the podcast. On. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget to James Pattinson. He's my little Smokey too. Oh yeah, yeah, no, yeah. actually, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. So he came back in. Really he, came back at all, but <laughs> he came back in the Chef Shield, didn't he? Towards the end, yeah, he it was, was outstanding. Light. Pace, swing, aggression, taking the mick, really. Yeah, like he's, yeah, huh? so good. <laughs> we'll come back to this Mel later in the summer, but I think if if he is fit and the rest of them are fit, then I think Australia take the Ashes. <gasps> yeah, that's recorded. This is recording. Yeah. I do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's down. <laughs> I hope so. It's been forty minutes. Um, Mel, thank you so much for coming uh, absolute on. Absolute pleasure, yeah, guys. Thoroughly you. enjoyed cheers. it. Phil, cheers for coming on. Yeah, well, you know, I'm always there for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, um, Phil will be back tomorrow, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. This has been the Wisden Cricket Daily Podcast in partnership with Travel Bag, creating holidays packed full of memories. It's 1979. Thanks for listening, folks. If you've enjoyed the show, tell your friends, subscribe. See you tomorrow. Thank you. Podcast Network.